Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action. Welcome to another week from Wisconsin. It's Memorial Day weekend. Summer is here, and Jorna Taylor is uh, ready for another podcast. Jorna, Jorna is a nonprofit consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna, happy Memorial Day weekend. All right, we happy look- birthday weekend to me. Yes, yeah. So we'll, we'll we'll look forward to hearing what you're doing <laughs> on your birthday later in the show. Robert Craig is here. Robert is, of course, the executive director here at Citizen Action. Robert, welcome. Good morning, everyone. So. We have a it's, it's, we have a court-heavy, legal-heavy podcast today. We are going to talk about a number of the two of the big court cases that are going on and a couple other court-related legal issues. Um, but we want to start the podcast by talking about a tour that, Robert, you were on this, this week uh, around a couple of spots in the state to announce the launching of a piece of legislation to deal with the high cost of prescription drugs, particularly here in Wisconsin, where... Essentially, nothing's been done to address the high cost of prescription drugs. So tell us a little bit about who's involved and what, uh, what this is all about and why it's so important. Well, this is one of those issues that's absolutely huge with the public and which um, is not on the political radar screen, the legislative radar screen at all, because of the political muscle of the pharmaceutical industry. So it's a classic thing where if progressives are being smart, which we're trying to be, that you need to make it an issue before the election. So we did get questions about why Representative Col- Deborah Colstie is introducing it now. Well, what better time to announce it uh, than to put candidates in position of saying whether they are for or against controlling physician drug prices. And all this really does is it looks at uh, very high-value drugs, drugs that people need in order to manage chronic diseases or to deal with life-threatening diseases like cancer, and uh, looks at whether they're excessively expensive. You look at what it costs to manufacture, what the company actually ch- uh, paid to research. By the way, they claim it's all research, but in fact, we're paying for most of the research that has the public, uh, what they charge in other countries, what they actually are, are running up in terms of marketing to doctors and, and, to, uh, and, and to consumers. And so, and then not only does a report on that every year, but uh, requires the state to come up with a plan to deal with excessive prices, including potentially using the leverage of the state to negotiate. So the only people who are really against this are the pharmaceutical industry, which literally claims the right to stand in an oasis and allow uh, start, uh, people dying of thirst coming from the desert to make them pay thousands of dollars for a bottle of water, because people will pay anything if they need a life-threatening drug. And what happens is a lot of people don't even get their medications and get a lot sicker, and it costs us more money. And it's as bad as being denied access to care, like pre-existing conditions, to simply not be able to afford it. So that's what we're talking about. And this calls the question of who's for it, who's against it. So, Robert, you know, I agree with you. We, we put this stuff up on Facebook about the events uh, this week, and a lot of people, it really resonated with a lot of people. However, Keith Best, our resident troll and uh, legislative staffer, um, for the wh- majority party, while maybe at work, I don't know, it was middle of the day. Um, he wants to know why should. What are you talking about? Is this is Obama's fault? Obamacare should have solved this. Isn't everything Obama's well, fault? Look. Well, prescription drugs little- prescription drugs used to be like the top issue, right? Then Obamacare came along and really tried to grapple with the whole healthcare system. But, you know, prescription drugs is still an issue, right? The cost. So help explain well, to people who say, hey, how come Obamacare didn't solve this? And I'll give you a bipartisan answer, unlike Mr. Best, who says <laughs> everything you say bounces off me and sticks to you, right? <laughs> is 
Uh, obviously, this was a huge issue in the mid-aughts, uh, so much so that a Republican president, George W. Bush, uh, did Medicare Part D. But one of the provisions was, because of the strength of pharma, was is that Medicare was forbidden to negotiate. And uh, we're the only country that doesn't, and that's why we pay on average 40% more uh, per drug. And for a lot of high-value drugs, it's double. And Wall Street Journal did a great analysis, drug by drug, of what it costs in other com developed countries versus the United States just in December. Now, it is true that we got to the Affordable Care Act, which Keith and his friends were no help with, as we remember, uh, to put it light mildly. Uh, the Obama folks decided not to take on pharma prices because then the whole pharma industry would have put hundreds of millions into killing the bill and joined with the right-wing. Republicans trying to do so. So they didn't take it on either. Uh, so neither side has taken it on. Uh, but certainly, if we had said to, uh, you know, Speaker Boehner and, uh, and, uh, and Majority Leader McConnell, well, gee, if we take on pharma, will you support Obamacare? Uh, you can know what the answer would have been. So, but clearly, neither side has wanted to take this industry on. And a couple months ago, when Senator Dave Hansen just mentioned in a student newspaper they want to look at prescription drug prices, all of a sudden he was besieged by pharmaceutical lobbyists. That's what we're talking about here. But but Robert, how how would I watch daytime TV, and how would I know, you know? what will make me happy and what will make me skip through the fields holding hands with my spouse if it isn't for the glossy commercials and overproduction of the pharmaceutical industry. Let, ask your doctor if arsenic is right for you, Jorna. <laughs> so, <laughs> there could be well, some side effects like sudden death, okay. but other than that, you'll be know, skipping right? in the fields. Look, uh, <laughs> on that note, um, it's interesting that this that this was announced this week because it was also uh, new data came out on CEO pay and it was Has found nothing that, to do with it, Matt. I know, I They're know. They're doing incredible research, though. CEOs, yes. so for health saving drugs. Both healthcare and pharmaceutical CEOs are now the highest paid execs compared to any under any other industry. In fact. Their median pay is $14.5 million, well, and they continue to see their pay skyrocket, right, at a time when we're talking about issues Matt, people being able to afford, as Robert Matt, said, their drugs this in the is, desert. This is just a jobs program. Yes. This is making sure that CEOs of the healthcare industry and the pharmaceutical industry have jobs, and that their marketing firms also have jobs. Why do you hate hardworking people in the healthcare industry? And let me, it's a good question, let me say, Joanna. from a system standpoint, because we know the big drivers and costs are charges by, by hospitals, doctors, insurance companies cut, and then prescription drugs, right? And we believe prescription drugs have done a lot of wonderful things to extend life. So this is not about not doing that. It's about whether you can profiteer or not and make billions unnecessarily. If you get a major chronic disease and have high prescription drug costs, right? Uh, so we're not talking out. We're talking outside of Medicare, where the donut hole is still a problem, though it's it's smaller. In Wisconsin, we did a report uh, last year. In some areas of the state, there are thousand dollar deductibles before you start getting anything paid for. We also had a report this uh, week from the Federal Reserve that said that nearly half of American families could not handle a $400 unexpected bill. That's how, how economically near the brink they are. So what happens? People don't take their drugs that they need to magic chronic disease. Then they get seriously ill up in the hospital. Then we all pay for that. And so this is exactly the kind of, this profiteering is not only wrong, it is making healthcare much more expensive, and it is risking people's lives. Because to be honest, to be denied, to be, be priced out of something that's vital to life or, or to quality of life, is just as bad as being denied coverage by a pre-existing condition. It's the same thing, and it's for the same reason, just corporate profits. So 
Before we move on, I want to say thank you and a shout out to, well, first of all, the legislators who supported this. Robert so, Representative the- Colsty and then Representative Melissa Sargent yep. uh, was at the press conference, uh, did a lot of TV interviews, and she said just in the promos about the, about the news coverage that morning spurred dozens of calls to her office in Madison about the prices. And they, 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 they didn't see the whole story. They just seen TV news saying they were going to be covering it. Also, we want to uh, thank uh, former Representative Mandy Wright, who has always cared about this issue and was at the Wausau event. And as folks know, Mandy is running again for state representative, so we uh, hope her the best. Obviously, someone like Mandy would be a huge change in helping move forward uh, legislation that could actually rein in the prescription and drug industry. Mandy told me that it was not part of her door wrap, but since she knew she knew it was coming up and had read uh, Representative Colsty's bill that she started asking on the doors, and lo and behold, tons of stories just on the doors in a couple of days. So yeah. she I'm realizes there's this huge issue with the public. It's just not very much in the media, and it's totally off the radar screen in Madison because it's been bought off the radar screen by so, a... By a by a huge special interest, one of the strongest in the whole country. So it's important that we be asking all of the folks running for, for state rep, for state senate, you know, do they support this? Do they support actually going in and reining in the pharmaceutical industry? Do they support accepting the Badger Care money? Because the, the current party in charge is clearly not doing anything about this issue. Ask your doctor if affordable prescription drugs are right for you. There you go. They're not. <laughs> Ask your state representative. <laughs> Overpriced drugs are the only kind that I like. So with that, I'm going to turn to Jorna to oh. lead us off. Yes, oh on our boy. next topic, because we're into the legal area, and you are our resident. I, I am the resident um, Cracker Jack Box legal expert. That's right. So I'm going to turn to you. We have a number of legal issues we want to talk about this week, but I want to start with the new trial that kicked off t- this week, and that's around redistricting. Mm-hmm. And we had Sachin Chetta on probably about uh, a couple months ago to talk a little bit about this, but why don't you refresh for our listeners? Essentially... Jordan was hosting that one, as I recall. That's right, because I, oh. I was gone. Yeah, so this one... Sachin f- talked a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> he's a, boom, he's, Sachin. We, we, we love Sachin, but he's a talker. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we appreciate that he came on and, and gave everyone uh, a little tutorial about this. Uh, but for the folks who did not listen, just remind people why why this is a essentially could be a very historic case around redistricting that would impact Wisconsin, but could have ramifications uh, beyond Wisconsin. Sure. So um, the case that's currently going that's being heard, and I believe this is actually the last day of the um, of the trial today, has twelve Democrats that have sued. Um, claiming that the maps, well, not claiming, (laughs) asserting very strongly with a lot of evidence that the maps that were drawn by the Republican legislature were in secret, let's be very clear, behind closed doors at a law firm uh, not in the building on the square of Madison. I heard they were threatened by the recalls. They just had to act quickly. (laughs) Yes. It was the only way to do it on behalf of the people. (laughs) So on behalf of the people, Republican legislators met in secret uh, for a very open process to draw maps for the legislative state legislative districts that really were unfair to the transparency of elections and to democracy. And what it did is, you know, cracking and packing is what you'll hear a lot of terms in redistricting. But it packed as many Democratic voters into as few districts as possible so that they could spread out and the majority party could ensure that they would continue having a legislative majority for the next 10 years. 
Yep. For example, in Kenosha and Racine is a perfect place of, of packing where they took two districts that used to be essentially countywide, Racine County and uh, Kenosha County, and created two districts that essentially one made up the cities and then one made up the rest of the rural areas. So they were able to pack like urban areas and rural. Yeah. But yeah, pack all the Democrats into one area and then, you know, basically be able to have create essentially another Republican district. And, and those districts, they look so normal on a map. If, <laughs> yeah. if you look at a map of the legislative districts in Wisconsin, it really, it makes sense to me how yes. they've gerrymandered. Um, they've rigged elections for the next 10 years is what they've done. And it's right. more sophisticated in the old days. You know, oh, in the yeah. 19th century, they had rotten boroughs in Great Britain. And you literally had large cities like Liverpool that had no member of parliament and then rural areas that had a couple hundred people that had like had a member of parliament. Right. So now they're the same number of people, but you can use higher math and voter files and performance and tracking of the behavior of people very scientifically to create a map that in 2012 we have to remember um, that uh, – I think Democrats get over 200,000 more votes in the assembly uh, than Republicans, and it produced a uh, only 39 Democratic seats and uh, and and 50 no 60 Republican 60, yes. seats. So it's 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 a it's it's a wonderful mathematical uh, exhibition of how powerful math can be in stacking elections. So Matt, you asked why this court case may have some sort of national precedent. Um, the folks, the Fair Elections Project that has been working diligently on this case have also been working on potential lawsuits in other in other states where it is not just Democrats. You know, we're not just the left here trying to make sure that our elections are fair and accessible. Um, there are states where it is Republican plaintiffs that are questioning, you know, why their vote doesn't seem to count as much as a Democrat's vote. So this could have... This, you know, maybe this makes it all the way to the Supreme Court. Who knows? Who knows if we'll even have a full Supreme Court? But we won't go there today. Well, um, and, and it seems seems to me, and I think it's pretty clear that this is really about Justice Kennedy, mm -hmm. who has asked for greater clarity on a real term that could define partisan, right? Or that you could actually quantify partisan gerrymandering. And so this lawsuit provides a new quantification, a new way of doing that. Um, from an academic, is it Stanford or Cal or someone? I'm not not Smart important, people. not important. Um, and so this is using that new way of measuring that. That the hope is that Justice Kennedy will be persuaded. Um, it's it's really uh, interesting to point out that in the trial yesterday, and again we record on Thursday, so Wednesday, the Republican staffers admitted that they had different maps. And that they chose, as they described it as, the most extreme or aggressive, the most aggressive map, which had a 10-point change uh, it, over the previous maps in terms of the amount of districts that were going to be Republican. They, they thought it was 59. Robert, you mentioned in the election it ended up being 60, very close to what they had uh, assessed, that it kind of guaranteed them about 59. And, and they were very open in court that, like, they... They, they knew that this was an aggressive map, and they chose that aggressive map. They're trying to walk the line that somehow it was, quote, gerrymandering. But obviously this, this is historic, because if this new quantification actually holds water with Justice Kennedy, it changes things in a lot of places around the country. And everybody's going to run the numbers off of this, uh, well, let's this, new, be clear. this the, new math. The courts for years have not done their job on this. 
I mean, this is like separate but equal or, or, or Dred Scott. I mean, it's unbelievable that, that politicians can basically cook the books in order for their own partisan benefit. I mean, it undermines the whole principle of democracy. We have such legal formalism that we've decided that there's a right to free speech from multinational corporations, never anticipated by the Founding Fathers and writing the First Amendment. But there's apparently no right to one person, one vote, right, in terms of how the system operates. And so I think like with separate but equal, you got to keep challenging it and challenge the most egregious examples until finally you break through legally. And once you break through, then you can create a precedent. But this is completely indefensible. And this idea that we won one surge election, therefore we get to uh, create create a situation where voters don't even get to choose who who controls the legislature. And by the way, that is, is the defense. That is essentially yeah. their defense. Yeah. We won. It's stunning. Screw you guys. Right, right. now we've declared the the, the universal timeless dictatorship of the far right. <laughs> Hold on. I don't know why you all think that like the people should have a say. Yeah. This is not actually a democracy. Well, that's so, right. The lobby corps would like to have a say. So this this trial we're going to continue to watch. It's obviously very important, uh, as uh, as we mentioned, could be historic. Uh, the other trial that continued into its second week this week is the voting rights trial. We had Anita Johnson from our office on last week to talk about her testimony around uh, photo ID and the difficulties people encounter. Uh, there was a lot more this week, Jorna. Give us the there highlights. Was some, there was There's some, some really good and to stuff. Disclose, this suit was filed by one Wisconsin Institute and CIS National Wisconsin Education Fund, our 501c3. So we're, we're, we have an interest in this lawsuit, and to pay, but of course that interest is the common good, right, Jorna? Oh, absolutely. So, uh, you know who doesn't have an interest in the common good? <laughs> Boy, that sounded authentic. Some, some city clerks around here. Uh, so, there were some some that might be considered more conservative city clerks, though. That brought in by the defense, right? So, by in, the state. Brought in by the state. Cedarburg. Uh, C- Cedarburg, Waukesha, if wow. anybody remembers Waukesha. Wow. Uh, Port Washington. Uh, wow. That have stated that... <laughs> God, I can't even. This is, it's good. So I'm going to start with the fact that they have seen virtually no problems. They've it's seen no seamless. lines. They saw no lines. So in low turnout elections. No, no. They saw no lines. It's like they did, apparently didn't see any of the news coverage. They didn't pay attention no. to the whole trial last week where people talked about yeah, lines. Yeah, there were no lines. So and, they didn't see them. It didn't happen. And the people that they've talked to apparently <laughs> are ecstatic over the fact that we have photo ID now. They are grateful this rampant voter fraud that doesn't exist in Wisconsin <laughs> is going to end now. Ugh. But so part of the lawsuit is also about the in-person absentee um, what you know we in Milwaukee call early vote, but it's really not true early vote. It is in-person absentee. Your vote does not get counted until election day. It's something that we in Milwaukee use a lot. In Madison, use a lot. In places all across the state, they use. And the Republican legislature has dramatically restricted the ability of city clerks to open up satellite locations, to extend hours, to... Weekends. Weekends, no weekends, no Monday before. In the name of fairness. Well, that's because, according to some of these same city clerks... There's just too much democracy going on, and people have too much access. We need to restrict it. I just, I can't even. I can't. And did they talk about how uh, the wrong people in Cedarburg and Port Washington, uh, wrong by their definition, aren't voting, and that's a good thing? Did they talk about that at all Mm -hmm. in the testimony? Mm -hmm. No. No. So there's too much much democracy going on in Wisconsin, everyone. Um, Call it a day. We're done. Well, and not only that... I think it was the Cedarburg clerk who actually said that they 
they prefer only one site because it allows them to have greater control. Because that is ultimately what this is all about, right? right? One clerk's control over well, the process. I think I think we really should talk to them. I think a poll tax could really tidy up the Ooh, elections that would a lot. Be good. And, and, and reduce, stopping women from voting. It would reduce the wear and tear on the clerks. It'd yes. be a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, I, I look. <laughs> we joke around, but I actually think this this trial's been enlightening, right? Like, first of all, their arguments are c- incredibly weak. Like, they would get laughed out of basic sort of poli-sci social science 100, not even 101, 100. Although you can't trust the pointy head. That's okay, the problem. Come on, right? Like, like, we that freshman lecture. Okay, yeah. all right. <laughs> One of the first things you learn is association or causality, right? Or uh, and, and the notion that just because we've had an election this big presidential primary, and turnout was high. That means it didn't impact it. Is Like some of the worst science, it's unbelievable they're bringing this out in a court of law as actual... Why do you <laughs> think that facts matter, <laughs> Matt? They, they don't. And then you bring yeah, these clerks, these, these facts clerks. are no more questionable than Governor Walker's jobs numbers, are they? <laughs> Look, these, <laughs> these clerks who are clearly going to love a Trump administration, right, and all of its sort of, shall we say, brown-shirted... Uh, uh, apparel that goes along with a Trump administration. Uh, Sweatshop apparel. Yeah. I, who is in charge of, 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 of the defense? I mean, this is the defense is awful. And by the way, the, de- the defense on the redistricting is quite awful, too. Uh, it's, it's amazing how naked they are on this. So, look, we're going to continue to watch this trial. We, we've, I think, got more testimony into next week. I could be wrong. It may wrap up this week. Well, actually, I know from Matt's past that Matt kind of likes these naked pig-like <laughs> naked cartoons. So if someone wants to do a naked what? pig yes. concerning be- the defense. I believe <laughs> the defense is a naked pig. And by the way, Jorna, he's not wearing any pants. So with that, we're okay, going to move Okay, this podcast is going next. off the rails. <laughs> Are, are you concerned about naked pigs? You <laughs> yes. only like your pigs dressed. Yeah, okay. Oh so we have some more. We have more legal cases to talk about. Are you people. So, on the downside this week in law, uh, right to work cases. We we had talked earlier about right to work had been stayed or at least it uh, stopped. It is now back in force uh, as it waits to go on to its next stop on the legal. I think it was the appellate court. Uh, that that moved it forward, but that that case we talked about before is going to ultimately get to the Supreme Court. So it, but that that was a ruling this week. Also, another uh, finding in the legal world this week is that Wisconsin has joined in with the eleven states that are suing the Obama administration. Hashtag thanks Obama for the guidelines that they issued around transgender bathrooms and transgender students. Yeah, and we've talked about this topic before and how basically how gross it is that these folks would do this to to kids who are in a very difficult situations, right, trying to figure figure all this out and then come with this kind of crap. And it's not even about bathrooms, it's about a right-wing agenda. So what is their real defense? What 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 well, are, what are I, they throwing out there? I was driving to the Wausau and Appleton yesterday and heard the NPR coverage and and the lawsuits that we've joined, but uh, Wisconsin, not we, but the, the current illegitimate leaders of Wisconsin have joined. And apparently um because Texas is leading, uh, they're messing with Texas kids. That, that's the defense. That's the messaging. Yes. Brilliant. Look, this the, uh, you know, this is obviously very sad, and it's disappointing that they're choosing it's to go sickening. down this right, go down this path with the suit. And fortunately, they don't have a majority of states that are following on. But 
Wisconsin will be one of them. Now, remember the strategy. The strategy of the social conservatives is to adjust as, as, as we modernize and as social mores and values improve and become more inclusive and then establish the next line where they can take advantage of prejudice. So they're not talking about interracial marriage anymore, though they would if it, was st- if it, if it wasn't, you know. <laughs> if it pulled right, well. <laughs> right. But, the, but here we can still go after the, the, the transgendered community, especially when it goes to kids. And so we're going to do that. Believe you me, in 10 years, many of the people, politicians exploring this now will be, have been for it all along. And no, no, no. They'll have a transgender friend. Exactly. So this is just the same old game. And they're just trying to find where they can find the pockets of prejudice that they can still exploit for political advantage. And it's gross. Because they're jerks. Because you're talking about the most vulnerable kids. Mm -hmm. So this is the last thing a transgender teenager needs. Yeah. Is, is exploitive politicians and uh, and kind of like uh, conservatives. Uh, conservatives weird because you have a libertarian strand uh, milled together with kind of an authoritarian social conservative strand that wants to control people and say that someone's got to talk to that kid and tell them that they need to be this way. They need to play football, you know. So I mean, you know what I mean, I right? Do. Yeah. <laughs> and then this is actually as far as President Obama, since he's going out with quite a bang at the moment. We have the, the bathroom rule and the overtime rule, which is going to be the biggest pay raise that workers have gotten in a very long time, uh, in short order, and which is very much under attack. We'll be keeping you up to date on Ron Johnson's efforts to uh, repeal uh, the modernization of overtime so a lot more workers actually qualify for it. Oh, that won't happen because they'll have to read the bill. So it is Memorial Weekend, which means people can't wait to get out and have fun. And in the name of that, we are going to not get in your way with a long podcast. But before we get to what Jorna and Robert are doing this weekend, Jorna, our friend Paul Ryan, you know, he just finds a way to keep one foot in the news cycle and, you know, one foot in Janesville. He's got some Darn good handlers. Yeah, well, so this week the news around him is that he has been uh, in constant, oh, excuse me, his staff has been in constant daily communication with Trump staff to try to work things out. And I believe uh, they may have even met this week. And They talked by phone. They talked by phone. So where are we? Do we, do well, we have uh, Paul having, on the Trump train? We're having productive talks, Matt. We're having productive talks between um, the speaker and his orangeness. About and policing communities. About about how much they both hate Obamacare. And building walls. Building walls and how much they hate poor people and maybe how much they like taco ball Trade. bowls. I don't really know. Um, but the speaker has not yet endorsed uh, his orangeness. Is he supporting him, though, he's, like Ron Johnson? You know, eh, we're not even quite there yet, but we are coming closer to um, alignment of the Republican Capitol Hill agenda and his orangeness's agenda. As the president, as the presidential nominee for the Republicans. Well, maybe when we get back from vacation next week, we'll have an endorsement to talk about, not just tepid support. But with that, it is the weekend, and nobody does Memorial Weekend like Jorna Taylor. Jorna, what the hell is going on? Is this an equine extravaganza this week? Unfortunately, 
Um, I am not going to be going to a horse show this weekend. Oh boy. I always do. I am not going this year uh, due to some unforeseen circumstances within the horse community of a um, illness that has no. broken out. And so for the health of my own horse, I think it's in the best interest to stay home. I am, however, going to go to Door County, scenic Door County, Beautiful. Wisconsin. It's going to be a nice I will weekend. be working at J. Jeffrey Taylor Jewelry Store and Fine Arts in Fish Creek, Wisconsin. So stop on in and come see me on Saturday or Sunday. And then it's my birthday on Monday. So I'm going to hang out with my horses. So listeners, you got a chance to to meet Jorna if you can go, you can go buy to some. County. But you got to buy some jewelry. <laughs> that is sort of uh, what you got to pay in order to enter. Robert, what are you doing this weekend? Well, Celebrating I'm, my birthday. Yeah. I'm hoping earlier in the weekend maybe to get some training in for the West 24. And that I is great. Ride this what are we? We're only two months away. Holy Right. Smokes. But then uh, we are, my brother and I are taking my nephew Delano down to Champagne or Shampoo Bananas, it's called in Badgerland, uh, for a tour of the University of Illinois, uh, which has the top rated computer school in the Big Ten. So we shall see, but we're it's doing the college tour in earnest. I'm told by the, I talked to uh, one of my old college roommates that uh, apparently, according to the people who are really on top of college exploration, we're way, way behind. So uh, it's got to, the, the, probably Matt is too. Uh, this is, this is good. This has got to be. I, I graduated. I'm all done with yeah. looking for colleges. So, so anyway, uh, but, but there, there's a certain set of parents that uh, take, take the college thing very, very, very seriously. And there are consultants you can hire and yes. all sorts of things that we have not done. Well, Trump, but anyway. Trump's going to take care of them in the next administration. But uh, it is, no, it, it is important. I don't want to, I don't know. I don't want to make fun of it. So we'll see what Master Delano thinks of the University of Illinois. Uh, we, he doesn't really like sports that much, so he won't be rooting against the Badgers. Yeah, well, there's not <laughs> much to worry about with them uh, challenging the Badgers in athletics. And <laughs> uh, Illinois may be number one in computers. It's got to be last place in, uh, in uh, hills and excitement, I would think. <laughs> Champaign is a rough place, I would say, once you leave the university. It's pretty flat around there. There is a really good <laughs> microbrewery downtown, the Blind Pig, going back to an earlier theme from the podcast. Like that, like that. Well, Robert, I too am going to be. I'm going to be near you. I will be in Springfield, Illinois. Speaking of flat places, uh, for anyone who follows racing, uh, Memorial Weekend is the Springfield Mile, which is basically the Super Bowl of flat track racing. And on Saturday, my son will be racing at the Springfield TT. So, heading down Friday night, and we'll be back Sunday to to, to relax and and spend some time with the family. But very much looking forward to Memorial Weekend. And it looks like we're going to have great weather, a little bit of rain here and there, but pushing 80 degrees throughout the state. So people get out. It's been a little bit of a cold spring. And get out of your political bunkers this weekend and actually uh, spend some time with family and friends and enjoy yourself. And, of course, it is Memorial Weekend, so we do want to you know send out a thank you to everyone who has served and uh, or will serve in the future uh, this Memorial Weekend. So with that, thank you, Brian Woolridge, for making this happen, and have a great Memorial Weekend, and we'll see you next week at the Battlegrounds. Yeah.